and welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 23, Christmas Week Edition. Yes. Nonetheless, Christmas Week Edition. Connor Ryan, Evan Marinovsky. Connor, how's your week going? Pretty good, man. Feeling very festive, very jolly. The NHL is coming back. We have Christmas and, well, when this drop is going to be Christmas Eve. So Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of our loyal listeners. Um, but it's good. It's a good time of the year. I like this time of the year. It's fun. Um, it's funny. You're even in your Duncan's robe. Uh, I know. I, I'm not correct. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, sponsored by Duncan, but, you know, it's, I actually got this a few days ago. Uh, I was a little worried. It's one of those ones where you buy you buy the, the bathrobe and you get very concerned as soon as you put it in your cot and you order it and you're like, this is this is dumb. This was this was a poor decision. Like this is this is good for like social media clout, but I'm never gonna wear this. Surprisingly comfortable, a little very spacious, which is a good thing in a bathrobe, right? Um, and you know, I, it complements my morning. I got my got my Dunkin' coffee right here. Do you so, go every morning. Every morning, uh, it depends. It, usually, uh, in most best most scenarios, yeah. But if it's you know getting up early, or I think we did our last pod, I think I had a breakout. We have a few emergency Starbucks, like the little little, little mini cans they have. We have one of oh, those. Yeah. Uh, so we have those under you know uh, dire situations, like you know when you have the punch glass, like that. That's how we have the Starbucks little cans. But in general, keep with the Dunkin'. Interesting. That that seems very fun, and it's your thing. My bet on my bet online my bet online bathrobe is in the mail. Just for oh, people good. who don't know. So good. that's it's it's coming. It's coming. Uh, but at any rate, it's funny. I was thinking the other day. I feel like I, you would be good to have this conversation with. Um, and I realized this last night. I think my favorite Christmas movie because we can do this really quick, and then we yes. get in, we're gonna get into the way too early predictions uh, for this season. By the way, people can see Connor and his dunks bathrobe if they go subscribe to Bruins Rinkside on YouTube or the CLNS Media YouTube page. So do those two things and you can see Connor in his beautiful Duncan's bathrobe. Um, but I think my favorite Christmas movie ever mm-hmm. is It's a Wonderful Life. And yes. now that, that I think is many people's. Um, it's classic. not modern at all, but it is a classic. And the ending gets me every single time. That is yeah. the one ending that consistent. I, I never cry, never tear up, I never get choked up. But that is the one ending that always chokes me up. Yeah, I wish, and that's that's a big thing to admit. Big thing to admit. But around the holidays, season, I think everyone understands. I also feel like It's a Wonderful Life is like a movie you watched when you were little, and like it's still even back then is a great movie. And then you get older, and you're like, oh shit! Like I'm gonna, I got, I got the tears going now. It's better than <laughs> well, like the, mo- the crazy part about that movie. So my parents are named Mary and George, like Mary and George in that, and. Um, it's a wonderful life day in LA is mm-hmm. the day of my parents' anniversary. So that is like their movie. What a so coincidence. It, it makes, makes all the most, it makes all the sense in the world for them. Yeah. Classic, classic flick better than, uh, I, I mean, I'm one who loves many Christmas movies. Like you go to like the modern day of like elf, which maybe it's not modern day. Cause it's like almost 20 years old, which is depressing. That's but, weird. Yeah. That's, that's terrible. Like home alone classic. Which one I don't really like though. I don't like Christmas story. I don't. I don't. I've never. I've never story. seen it. It's like everyone said it's the best one. And like, granted, I saw it when I was, I think, like uh, a senior in high school, maybe even like a freshman in college. I finally saw it. I was like, "This is stupid. I don't care about this little kid. I don't care if it's fucking BB gun. No, it's horrible." Like, I think it's one of those ones where I think you have to see it when you were younger, and then it just kind of stays like in the rotation. But like TBS, TNT, whatever one it is, you don't have to play it twenty four hours. Don't. No one. No one. Oh yeah. No, unnecessary. There's a lot more I, better movies. I'd rather watch Jingle All the Way 
than a Christmas story. I, I agree with you. I mean, it's funny. You think about, I, I saw this funny clip this morning, um, from family guy doing like a, they were mocking home alone mm-hmm. and they showed the guy, the, the burglars coming into the house and being like, Oh, there's cars on the ground. Don't step there. Oh, there's this, this, the, the, the stairs are frozen. Definitely don't go down those stairs. And then the kid, and then Kevin pops out or like fake Kevin pops out and he's like, I have a tarantula guys. Watch out. They <laughs> shoot him. Well, <laughs> like, oh, no witnesses. <laughs> I mean, you think that after like they first knock on the door and he shoots him with a BB gun that they would just like kick the door in on him. And not yeah. like realize this guy's got like a little gorilla like warfare house going on that they'd be taking their time through it, but it's, it's, like it's not real life. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, especially like I I like Home Alone too as well. When they go to New York, I love like New York City around holiday time. But um, the fact that he's in that situation again a year later baffles me. Like yeah. that, like that dude should not that kid should not have to do anything around that house for like the rest of his life and like they're they're roasting this kid like a year later it's like you don't want to have it happen again do you and it <laughs> happens like guys what the hell but I know that's one of those movies that it's hard to do a second one but they did kind of pull it off they, um, they just they just plowed ahead too it wasn't like they had to like even try to be like <laughs> make a convenient plot device it's like nah let's run it back. It's like the hangover. Just keep yeah, exactly. going and going yeah, and going. Yeah, the yeah. same thing happens every time. Let's, let's not overthink those. Let's get to the action. I, I, be, I bet they drink way too much or get drugged, and then they forget what happened. Yeah. And then they, it's trying to piece together what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, this episode, obviously, uh, Christmas Eve, and we will be discussing, because you wrote this for bsj.com, um, the way too early predictions for the 2021 NHL season for your Boston Bruins. Now, I guarantee you none of these, these are all going to age like fine wine. Of course. I think they're all going to age beautifully. So you had eight. We'll go through the first three in depth. We'll go through the last five kind of. We'll we'll discuss each. uh, But I think the most important are the first three. So you said number one, entering the final week of play, the Bruins will be vying for the top spot in a revamped East division. Now, I agree with this. I, I absolutely do. I think the Bruins are going to be top two in this division. That's what they should be. That, that's my expectations for them. I'm not going to sit here, as I said the other day, I'm not going to sit here and say they're number one, but they should be in the top two. A lot of people are saying they're due for a regress. I agree. I don't think they're going to be the President's Trophy winners from last year, but I do think they should at least be vying for a top spot uh, come the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of look at these different divisions and I think maybe when you weigh it against some of these other, uh, you know, realigned spots there, like I think you look at the central where, I mean, my God, Tampa Bay is going to just like stuff all those teams into a locker. Other than like maybe Dallas, Carolina, maybe Columbus. I mean, you have to feel like Tampa's going to, you know, run through that whole division. But you look at the East with the Bruins and, okay, you've got – uh, the Islanders went to the Eastern Conference Final. The Rangers are definitely on the the come up with a lot of young, talented players. And then you got Philly, who should be one of the best teams in the East. And then the two teams that have been, uh, you know, powerhouses in the East for a long, long time in Pittsburgh and Washington. Like it's natural to view that grouping of the Bruins are in, plus kind of the roster and kind of the question marks you have, and be like, uh, are they, you know. I think they're going to make the playoffs, but are they going to be, you know, the last week of the season be like holding on for deal life to that four seed or something like that. But um, I still think even with some of the flaws on this Bruins team, they still got a great amount of talent. Uh, they have the best goalie core, I think in the whole division, which I think is going to be, uh, you know, a, a big key for this team, especially this year where all these games are going to be packed in such a, a small amount of time. I think you need to have two, very strong goalies. And again, there's a few, few guys 
on some of these other teams that are great. Um, Mikata Hat should be a, a great goalie for Philly and should keep on getting better and better. But the fact that you have Rask and Halak uh, as a tandem there, I think helps out the Bruins tremendously. And then other than Philly, who I think is probably the other team that's going to be vying for that top spot, I mean, Capitals, they've had the Bruins number, but they also don't have Braden Holpe, who I think we've talked about this before. Holpe was trash last year. Like, Braden Holpe was not good. But also, I mean, the guy, you know, you can't overlook kind of what the numbers have been for him against the Bruins over the years. So the fact that he's gone, the fact that Washington's going to have to roll with pretty much Samsonov now, um, now that Henry Lundqvist unfortunately can't play, you think that helps them out. Pittsburgh's talented. You know, you don't want to overlook kind of especially what they have up front. But, um, you know, they have Tristan Jari now who, uh, you know, good young talented goalie, but really faded down the stretch last year. Is he ready for kind of a, a compressed season like like this one going forward? Um, Rangers, fun team. They're going to score a crap ton of goals. But I think the Bruins, again, it's going to be a lot of 6-5, you know, 7-4 games, I think, there, which I think if you're a defensively structured team like the Bruins, you feel pretty comfortable you know, confident, you know, getting ahead of most of those games. And then the Islanders, as much as they're a stingy kind of boring team, the Bruins have also had their numbers over the years. I don't think they've won in regulation uh, since Barry Trotz has got there, since they've had that kind of renaissance. So, again, luck and change over the course of a year, uh, especially in hockey. But uh, I think you look on paper, once you get past the uh, initial kind of shock of some of these teams, like the like Pittsburgh and Washington, I still think the Bruins are going to be one of the, the favorites in that East. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if the top four are all pretty close, you know, packed in together in the standings, but I still am pretty confident the Bruins are still going to be a top two team there. No, absolutely. And, and one place who does have the Bruins pretty highly ranked is bet online. If you'd like to tell the listeners about them. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, guys, it's uh, an exciting time of the year around the sports world. Uh, NFL college football playoffs are just around the corner. NBA is back in full swings. The Celtics have already started playing. Hopefully they haven't been destroyed by the Bucks uh, by the time this is published. But um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's looking kind of dicey. But especially now they got the Nets on Christmas. So we'll, we'll see. But regardless, you be excited. Celtics are back, people. Um, and again, we're going to have NHL hockey back on our TV screens, laptops, tablets, you name it, in just a couple of weeks. And even though you guys may not be at a game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. No matter how the schedules change or the players that play, BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere online, and we even have an exclusive promo code for our loyal listeners. So go to BetOnline and enter promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You heard me, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. No one beats that. So what are you guys waiting for? Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great bonuses, offers, and contests available right now. Again, enter promo code CLNS50 for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. You literally can't beat that. Um, and I'm a big advocate of Bet Online as well. Now, they came out with their odds for the East Division, and they have the Bruins in first. They have the Bruins at 5-2 to two odds. Uh, they have the Flyers at three to one, Penguins at nine to two, Capitals five one, Islanders six one. I felt the Islanders were very a little bit too low in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think the. I mean, again, you know, you said this on Bruins beat. If people forget, the Islanders were in the Eastern Conference Final. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that not much has changed with them. Um, to me, I think they're a team that's in the top four. I think that at least odds-wise, they make more sense in there than maybe the Capitals with a young goalie, the Penguins with Tristan, uh, Tristan Jari. Um, so to me, I, I, you know, I, I see them being a little bit higher. That might be a pick. That might be one you might pick. Yeah, yes. get just some cash. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I think they're right. The Bruins and Flyers are, are one and two um, in that division. And that's what it should be. At least that's how it seems like it's trending towards. Um, and as we said, I think the, the Flyers and Bruins are in for some really good matchups. Number two prediction, Charlie McAvoy garners Norris trophy consideration. Now, this is something I think that, you know, last year I thought at times McAvoy was meh. I mean, he was good, not great. Um, but this year, I mean, if he is with Grizzly, if he does get to kind of flourish and be himself, I've said this to you before, you know, you, you remember back to that 2017 postseason in that series against the Senators and McAvoy was like a, just a do it all guy. He was doing everything and they kind of let him flourish and blossom. And it feels like with Chara, they haven't really let him do that. Uh, yeah. It's sort of been covering for Chara the past year or two. So if he can, if he can play with a guy like Grizzly, I do think he'll get consideration. Now I don't think he's the winner. I don't think McAvoy's a Norris winner yet, but I do think that McAvoy's potentially a top 10 defenseman Mm -hmm. in the NHL this upcoming season. Yeah. To see if that actually happens. Yeah. I think uh, you kind of look at that Ottawa run. You've seen it in spurts of when he looks like a guy who's a future number one defenseman. I think you're going to see that more regularly this year. Um, And you kind of saw that down the stretch last year. I mean, for as much as people knocked McAvoy last year, not scoring a goal until February, which again, that kind of rings hollow, right? Because you, you see how good McAvoy is in transition game and all these things. It, may, it means a lot more than what he gets on the actual, you know, the baseline Yeah, the no statue. goals for yeah. him is irrelevant. That's, yeah. The no goals is irrelevant. Um, but regardless, I mean, you looked right ahead of when the COVID pause happened. I think he had 15 points in his last 17 games in the playoffs. He was a beast. Um, you know, played played great through the first two rounds. Had that kind of game-changing hit on stall that everyone remembers. I mean, he's a guy that can really do it all when he's locked in. Um, he's already, I think, a a, a shutdown, uh, you know, number one defenseman, which I think could already bring great value to this team if he just stays in that kind of category. I mean, you look at kind of his underlying numbers. He's in like the 98th percentile, even strength defense amongst NHL defensemen, 97th in terms of quality competition. So he's not like he's, you know, getting sheltered minutes or he's, you know, knocking out, he's snuffing out scoring chances from, third line, you know, third or fourth lines. Like he's going up against top pairing or top top six opponents and still shutting them down. Um, so I think when you factor that in with, as you said, this year with him, with Matt Grizzly, who should allow him to open up his offensive game a little bit more. Um, you've also, Bruce Cassidy has mentioned he wants to get more five and five offense from his, his uh, blue line. So McAvoy, who does one maybe flaw in his offensive games, he doesn't like to shoot the puck that much. If they really kind of emphasize that with him this year, um, I think this could be a year that, you know, you could see him, you know, get to 35, 45 points and continue this great defensive play. And I think he's going to garner that consideration. Again, it's an uphill climb. I mean, along with kind of the established defense in the league, you also have Kill McCarr, you've got Quinn Hughes. <laughs> I mean, you've got, I mean, it's a, a great future for the NHL amongst their defensemen. Uh, Miro Haskinen is unbelievable. So uh, it's a crowded field, but I think, uh, especially you kind of look at McAvoy's game. Um, he should be able to take that next step and at least get consideration. He may not be 
as flashy as like, you know, a huge, so I think huge, you can watch some of his highlights as he's walking the blue line, be like, Oh, this guy is the best. And he's great. We'll kill my car. And he's a guy who, you know, he's, he's winding up shots and he's a Where'd great guy. Go again? I forget. Uh, UMass Dartmouth, I think, or something like that. Yeah, um, Pride of UMass Dartmouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so McAvoy's not really, other than, you know, some of the big hits he throws, he's not like a, an offensive dynamo or a guy who makes a lot of highlight reel plays in the ozone, but I still think kind of just his overall game, uh, his two way play, I think he should garner at least some, some buzz the year goes on. He just does the little things right. It's like the, it's like that's the most prototypical, like, you know, uh, in studio host, ex player mm-hmm. answer, just like up at the video board, like explaining McAvoy, like, oh, he does the little stuff really right. And that, that'd be like the perfect way to describe, you know, Billy Jaffe standing up there with his muscles busting out of his, uh, button down shirt, right? You know, doing, uh, the, the video board with, with the McAvoy. The Telestrator, excuse me, the Telestrator. Um, but yes, I, I agree. I think McAvoy's ascendance this year or emergence might be the most interesting storyline that goes on this year. It's like, wh- what steps does he take mm-hmm. forward and how big are the steps? I think we all expect those steps to be quite massive. Um, and I think that for a guy like him, I mean, I look at this lineup and again, you know, the left side of the defense is obviously going to be kind of interesting to see what happens. But I think the biggest potential the most potential of anyone on the roster could be a guy like McAvoy um, or Grizzly as well. They could be put together. I'm hoping they're together. I think we're all hoping they're together. So um, I absolutely think that the McAvoy thing is, is totally possible. I do think, I don't think that prediction is going to, I think that prediction will age like fine wine. I think the first prediction will age like fine wine, uh, but some people think the Bruins are going to even miss the playoffs. So, who, who actually really knows? Yes. Um, pr- prediction three, Bruins embrace a youth movement on defense, but Zdeno Char re-ups just ahead of camp. Now, my thing with this is that feels like con- it feels like it's a little too conflicting. Mm-hmm. Like you have a youth movement, but you bring back Chara. Mm-hmm. It's funny. The other day when Neely was talking, up until then, I think we kind of were figuring Chara would be back. But you even yeah. texted me and said it feels like that this might be it for Chara. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like they might have a spot. I mean, you do think about it. On that left side, you have Grizzlick, Lozon, John Moore. I know people don't like saying that, but John Moore, Earl Vakanainen, Jacob Zaborl. If Zaborl doesn't make the team, he goes on waivers. So it's like, I mean, do they even have a spot for Chart? doesn't feel like that's necessarily the case. Yeah, I mean, I think when you kind of look at what the priorities are, I think probably the main priority, especially I think – the biggest issue is finding out who fills in one and Chara's old spot on the top pairing, which I think we all agree should be Grizzly. And then I think the biggest thing is who slots in where Tori Krug used to play. And I think in terms of embracing the youth movement, I think that's where you're going to see either a guy like Lozon or a guy like Zaboro kind of get the first dibs at trying to land that top four spot um, through training camp. But I think when you kind of look at the the what Neely said on Monday about Chara and his status on the team, I think the biggest thing is just finding out whether he's willing to take that role of being, uh, you know, a third pairing guy or even a guy who slots in every once in a while, which I think when you see how compressed the schedule is, you need to have a situation like that where um, you can't be having Chara keep on playing, you know, two back-to-back slates in a week or something like that. Like that's not going to work. But if he's willing to take that role where he's a sixth guy or even a seventh guy, I think he brings a lot of value to this team. And, um, Again, you, you kind of map out the Bruins and what their, you know, their way they're building this roster. Um, it doesn't seem like it hurts you at all to sign Chara to a one-year, you know, cheap deal based on the value he brings. I mean, regardless 
of what he brings on the ice, the value he brings as a, you know, a mentor, as a leader to Deco. It's kind of a lot of young guys on it is immense. But again, if he's your third pairing guy and he's uh, on the PK and he's still kind of giving those shutdown minutes, you can put him up with Kahlo when needed. If you need kind of a closeout, uh, shift it to, to end the game. I mean, he's got value there, which I, you would think would supersede, you know, you look at the Bruins and what they're trying to get out of these young guys this year. If one of Lozon or Zaboral, let's say, fits into that second pairing role, that's great. But then you get to the third pairing, it's like, all right, we have to go all in on Jacob Zaboral or Hovac and Adams, that third pairing guy. I mean, when you got that or you've got Chara for cheap, it would seem like you're kind of cutting your nose off to spite your face if you're just like, no, we, we can't have Chara back this one year where we're ideally still going for a cup with this corn place. Like, it doesn't really seem like a, a move that makes a lot of sense from the Bruins' perspective. So, granted, if Chara goes elsewhere because another team can offer him 20-plus minutes a night, then you can kind of see the writing on the wall of maybe Chara doesn't want to – isn't comfortable – taking that reduced role, especially with maybe he's a guy who's not playing every single day. Um, but I think you can do kind of both things where you can embrace the youth movement, also have Chara back as a, a stabilizing force. There. Cause I think that's one thing the Bruins need more than anything on the D court. They just need some stability. I think Chara on a cheap deal is a great safety net to have there. No, I agree. I think it, it is. And I think it makes sense to, to bring him back on a one year, $1 million deal to play those third pairing minutes, the, late game uh, D zone draws. Um, I'm surprised though, that he wants to do it. Now I know he's a huge competitor. Obviously we all know that Char is superhuman, um, but it just, to me feels like, you know, you're in the midst of a pandemic. He's 43 now, right? He's 43. going to be 44 in March, 44 in March. And it's a pandemic and you have your cup. You played in this league a long time. I'm kind of surprised that he didn't, hang it up but that's him and that's chara and we should be used to it uh that that's sort of how he rolls uh but i agree i i i think that i i you know i don't know anymore if they're gonna re-sign him i don't the way that the the tone that neely gave um and i think it is good to have him as a safety net because it doesn't cost you a lot Mm -hmm. prediction four even without krug bruins finish with a top five power play now, I agree. I think they're, the power play is still going to be good. I don't know about top five, but I do think it'll still be good. I think there's going to become a time when there's going to be like a slump with the power play. They'll be like mm-hmm. one for 17 over four games or something. Mm-hmm. And you're going to hear everyone saying, this is why they should have re-signed Krug. Mm-hmm. They're missing. Look at this. They'd be so much better. The truth is, though, I mean, and we've both been saying this since September, since the last season ended, Grizzlick is a fine choice to put on the power play instead of Krug. Yeah, I mean, I also would not be surprised at all if that one for 17 slump is what happens to stop the air because um, not only are you going to have a new guy who's like running the show, but also you're going to have, at the very least, no David Pasternak, who's kind of your equalizer. Even when the – how many times have we seen even during since where the power play is not really clicking that you still feed a seam pass over to Pasta and the – in the circle and you still, it's kind of like a game breaker. It's still, you get a goal out of it, even when it's kind of a choppy uh, power play. Um, so I think that's going to be an adjustment, which, you know, you're going to have to see how maybe a, a guy like Craig Smith or Andre Kasha maybe fit into that role. David Krejci's formed pretty well, kind of taking over Pasternak's role when needed. Um, a lot of it's going to be dictated again also on how a guy like DeBrusque or Coyle or maybe even Smith in a net front role, 
how he would fare on this team. But um, again, I still think you got the pieces in place. I have a very, very strong power play, especially once Pasternak gets back. I mean, you look at Grizzlick's uh, effectiveness there. Again, it's a smaller sample size, but he has a higher goal scored per 60 with the the trio of Bergeron, Machan, and Pasternak than Krug did last year. Again, small sample size, but um, enough, you know, that it does stand out in terms of it's not like there was a huge drop-off when uh, Grizzlick, who may not be as dynamic as Krug is on the power play, but still, uh, you know, has worked on his shot quite a bit. Um, does a good job of kind of walking the blue line, making sure that, you know, pucks stay in and feeds it back down to some of these dynamic weapons the Bruins have up front there, which, again, it's not like Grizzly has to do completely, you know, rethink his game or he has to do a crazy amount of stuff there. It's like, all right, you get the puck back into Marchand or, or Pasternak and you're rolling again. So I still think they got the piece in place. I don't think it's going to be seamless, especially to open the air, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're still a top five probably in it this year. Maybe not top two as they've been the last few years, but I still think it's going to be a significant part of their offense. You'll be fine with Grizzly. That's it. Yeah. I think you're fine with Grizzly. Um, number five, Trent Frederick settles into a fourth line role by the spring. I don't know about this one. I don't. I think there's a lot of guys on that fourth line. You have Crowley, you have Wagner, you have Greg McKegg, you have Part Lindholm. I don't know. Nick Ritchie. I, the, Nick Ritchie as well. Carson Coleman. Uh, there's a lot of guys. It's a freaking log jam. It's a log jam down there. And as good as Frederick is, I mean, the Frederick thing, uh, Frederick, the whole experience, the whole mm-hmm. the projections of him are fascinating to me. He's a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And essentially his ceiling is a fourth-line center or a yes. third-line center. That seems to be what the, the, common, uh, the, the common trend is with him and what people kind of project him to be. So I don't know if it's this spring. I don't know if it's this spring that he kind of comes into his own. I think he gets that shot on the fourth line in two scenarios. Number one, COVID. <laughs> People get COVID. Number yeah. two, the fourth line is not effective, kind of like they were last year, where you know you have all these different pieces that don't fit together, and Cassidy's trying this one and this one. And Frederick comes in as a great first game and kind of just hangs in there for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Um how do you think he ends up on that fourth line? I think it's going to be a situation where I think you're going to have a lot of guys shuffled through. I mean, I think the only guy who is a definite lock is probably Corrali. Even Wagner, who I think had a great first year, I struggled a bit like that whole line for most of last season. So, um, listen, when the Bruins are rolling, especially up front, usually uh, the player that fourth line is playing a big role in that in terms of usually negating a top six uh line on the other team, uh, which allows, again, Bergeron and his crew to get easier matchups and kind of land some punches against the other team. Um, you didn't really see that as much from the Bruins' fourth line last year. Um, you know, they were on the ropes for quite a few uh, games, especially in the playoffs. So I think the for Cassidy and his staff, you're going to see a lot more urgency to get a cohesive unit there. So I think you're going to see a lot of guys, especially early on, shuffle through that lineup. And... Um, that's why I think you could see, you know, a guy like Coleman, who is a, a, a quick skater guy who generates high quality chances just because of his hustle and his ability to get to the front of the net. I could see him in that kind of north south role. I could see a guy like Frederick in that role. Um, and then for Frederick, the biggest thing is just being consistent and kind of, again, it's not saying it's a bad thing, but I think. Frederick punching the lights out of Brandon Tanev. Also, I think people think that how he's just going to be a guy who just beats the crap out of everyone every shift. But you need more than that from a guy like Frederick. He wants to become an everyday 
fourth line, you know, key cog for you because, I mean, he has zero points in 17 NHL games aside from dropping the gloves during those since when he's been up there, when he's averaging like nine minutes a game, you don't really see that much else from him, right? It's not like he's a beast on the four check or, you know, he's generating these quality chances. You have to see more from him, which, uh, you know, he had a good year down in Providence last year, aside from leaving the AHL in penalty minutes. I mean, he also had, I think, 30 points. So, again, I don't expect him to be a, a guy who is first year, he's going to have 30 points. But if he's a guy who can get you 15, 20 points a season, uh, you know, contribute on that four check, um, I think that can go a long way. So I don't think he's going to start the year, but I think you're going to see a lot of guys cycled in and out of those spots. And I think Frederick is a guy who, uh, if he – progresses as we expect him to after another full year in Providence last year, I think he could be a guy that could hang on to to that spot going into the postseason. Once you beat the hell out of someone in Boston, you automatically are like the next me. Oh, of course. Like it's just a foregone conclusion. Um, number six, Craig Smith wins the seventh player award. I think this is spot on. I don't, I, I think this is actually going to happen. Um, this might be the most like accurate of your predictions. Cause to me, I, I, I feel like they don't give this uh, seventh player award to players like, the next year, like I feel like they don't do double. It's always, it's like, always, it's always a newcomer, or oh, it's a newcomer, someone new. Um, Wagner's or, or a star, it. or it's or it's like a star. It's like a McAvoy, or it's like Pasternak after he scores thirty goals. Like, yeah, congrats, man. It's which it should, really shouldn't be. Yeah, no, it shouldn't. This should be a, a third liner or a you know fifth or sixth defenseman that that stepped up big. Um, I think it's gonna be Craig Smith. I I, I genuinely agree with that one. Um, so I, I agree with that. Number seven, Bruins swing trade for a top four defenseman. Now, this is a big one. This is a big one. Now, do you, you mean at the trade deadline? Right? At the deadline, yeah. I think that's possible. I feel like this deadline might be dead just because of the divisions mm-hmm. and guys having to quarantine. I don't think you're going to see a lot of Canadian teams trading with American teams because of mm-hmm. you know, quarantining rules and stuff. Um, but who do they end up getting? Well, that remains to be seen based on what the, the trade market looks like. I think the guy everyone's talked about, the we've talked about, is Noah Hannafin as being a guy who could be available then. Uh, as we as we talked about before, I don't know if he's the guy worth kind of giving up a lot of assets for, even though he's a young player and he's from Boston. So, of course, everyone loved to have him here. But I think you look at a player like Hannafin. Your fourth defenseman from Boston. Yeah, that's beautiful. That, that'll be their new advertising campaign. Um, but I think once you get to the trade deadline, which is in April this year, um, I think you're going to see a lot more guys kind of cut from the same cloth as Hannafin, like either young, talented defensemen or teams that I think probably look at the, the writing on the wall that there's going to be no cap space again next year and seeing if maybe one of these teams be willing to, to make a move like that. And if the Bruins sign, you know, a guy like Chara for cheap and that's kind of all they have, they still have at least a little bit of cap room available that if you do, whether it's, you know, taxi squad cap juggling or stuff like that, they still can kind of take on a contract if they move some pieces around. Um, so I think they're going to be a player for, you know, maybe not exactly Hannafin, but of a guy like that who I think should be on the market once you get to April. Absolutely. No, I think that, I think they could end up pulling the trigger on a deal like this it makes them better. I mean, if you really want to make a run in the playoffs, you yeah. need to better this team. This team is not uh, on paper. I don't think is a, in my opinion, is the Stanley Cup favorite. I think they need a, they need one or two more pieces. Um, sort of like that 1819 team. And they have to go out and get them. <laughs> they have to go out and get that piece or two. So, uh, and obviously you need those pieces if you'd like to have the chance for prediction number eight, which is my favorite prediction. Number eight, the Bruins face off against 
the Toronto Maple Leafs in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, this is something we discussed at length on Bruins Beat. I am so, so in favor of this idea. You know how painful that would be, but amazing to watch that would also be? It would be glorious. I mean, that would be, I think, I, I think we said on Bruins Beat that I think Gary Batman would be doing cotwheels. That's what happened. <laughs> Any matchup like that where it's two massive markets like that, two teams with a lot of bad blood already. Um, it's just going to be a fascinating kind of situation if it gets to that point in the NHL this year where it's two teams in the East or two teams in the West that hate each other to get to, to show, you know, face off in a, a Stanley Cup final. So, uh, again, may not be fun for us, uh, going in a, a series like that considering how much would be at stake. I mean, it's, it's one thing if you lose to the Blackhawks, one thing you lose to the Blues, which was not great to say the least, but like losing to the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, would be, a brutal situation and considering how much the Bruins have had uh, Toronto's number, you would be worried that, you know, every dog has his day and this is the year they get over the hump. It has to be in the Stanley cup final, but uh, hopefully we get at least some situation like that this year, which you may not have another chance again at having a, a matchup like this, this far into the postseason. So uh, we can hope for hopefully better days ahead in 2021, where the Bruins face off against Austin Matthews and Joe Thornton in a, potentially semi-filled TD Garden in July. So here's holding out hope. That would be incredible. And the idea of it just excites me so much. If that's the motivation to get through the rest of the pandemic, then I don't know. Then I think that that's it. That, that should be everyone's motivation uh, to get through the rest of the pandemic. So Connor, I, we finished up our predictions. Uh, what can the listeners look forward to at Boston Sports Journal that you're working on? Yeah, uh, we're going to have more news. It seems like every day there's more and more news getting dropped by the NHL. So uh, I expect we're going to get uh, news very soon, if not already dropped by the time this podcast is released about the schedule. So we'll start breaking that down in terms of what to expect this upcoming year for the Bruins. Uh, Are you going to pick every at, game? Are you going to pick every single game? That would make that would make my, that would win. make my my brain melt. And also, it's a a foolhardy thing to do for a game like hockey, right? Where you can't, considering how much the Bruins suck against the uh, against the uh, Detroit Red Wings over the years, it, it doesn't help you at all to to break those things down. But we'll look at the schedule. We'll look at um, maybe analyzing a few potential breakout candidates for the Bruins beyond Charlie McAvoy, because I think there's quite a few on this team. It's it's one of those situations where the Bruins may not be as good as they were on paper the last few years, but if three or four of these like seven potential breakout guys take a big step forward, then I think this team could be still a very, very special, you know, group going forward. So we'll break that down over at BSJ. So subscribe over at bostonsportsjournal.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that. And for Poke the Bear, this is Evan Marinovsky. That's Connor Ryan. Have a great and merry Christmas and a happy holidays. 